0: The Bible was written over 2,000 years ago. Is it still relevant to modern day society? Stay tuned for a discussion with one of the foremost biblical authorities in Christendom today, Dr. Charles Ryrie, the renowned author of the Ryrie Study Bible.
1: Lamb and Lion Ministries presents
0: Christ in Prophecy,
1: a program that focuses on the
0: fundamentals of Bible prophecy. Showing how current events in the news, relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Well, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have in the studio with me today a living legend among Christian leaders, Dr. Charles Ryrie, the author of the Ryrie Study Bible. Dr. Ryrie holds two earned doctorates and one honorary one. He has written numerous books that have sold over a million and a half copies worldwide. He is the former president of the Philadelphia College of the Bible, which today I believe is known as Philadelphia Biblical Biblical University. University, Yes. And he served for many years. As a professor of systematic theology at Dallas Theological Se- uh, Seminary. Dr. Ryrie, thank you very much for being with us today.
2: Thank you for having me, and thank you for saying I'm a living legend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, I appreciate that sense of humor. I tell you, I want to jump right into the discussion because our time is uh, so limited, and I want to begin by asking you uh, uh, the question that I use to introduce this program, and that is can a book that was written 2,000 years ago still be relevant today? Of
2: course. Why not? Well, It speaks to the problems today, and it speaks to solutions to those problems, more importantly. So, of course,
0: it's relevant. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting about that is that there's very few books I think you could say that of, if any.
2: I think that's true, though we do study ancient books for various reasons,
0: but uh, the Bible's got answers. Fundamentally, I guess the point is that man hasn't changed one bit. That's the reason uh, it's still relevant because we are
2: still needing that relevance.
0: God knows us better than anybody else. He created us, and uh, He knows that we haven't changed any at all. And what He says in that Word is seems to me just as relevant ever. Yep, it certainly is. Well, I I, saying that leads me to uh, a point. That I ran across recently in some research I did. The Barna Association, which does a lot of uh, yeah, polling of Christians, yeah. uh, recently polled the American Christian uh, body about their knowledge of the Bible. And Barna concluded the Christian body in America is immersed in a crisis of biblical illiteracy. He goes on to say the most widely known Bible verse among adults and teens, according to this poll, is this one God helps those. Who help themselves, which is not even in the Bible, and which, in fact, is contradictory to what the Bible Mm -hmm. teaches. Gary Burge, who is a professor of New Testament at Wheaton College, gives a test to the entering students every year. And these are kids coming from evangelical churches, and they can't even, one-third could not identify Matthew as an apostle. And he goes on talking about their biblical ignorance, which makes you wonder if evangelical churches are doing anything except Having weenie roasts uh, for teenagers. Now, the reason I mentioned all this is because you gave a speech recently that's all over the internet. Uh, I think it was in uh, March of 2007 at uh, Southwestern B- uh, Baptist Theological oh, Seminary yes. in Fort Worth, in yes. which you expressed serious concern over the lack of knowledge of the Bible uh, today. Could you elaborate that for us?
2: Well, I think what uh, these uh, polls say is true. Now, I don't teach regularly anymore. I'm retired from full-time teaching. But uh, the opportunities I do have to teach young people, uh, I find uh, that they are less and less aware of what's in the Bible. And even those that come from good churches, I think, are not uh, educated in the Scriptures. So some of the fault lies in our churches, in our programs, in our preaching. And uh, if 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 you dare to talk about
0: theology... Then uh, you're way above them. Yeah, their eyeballs roll back in their head.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or else they close and
0: sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it, it is a sad situation, and particularly since the Bible prophesies that in the end times it's going to be a time of deception. And it's so easy to deceive people when they don't know the Word, they don't know how to test anything. Well,
2: they have no discernment, they have nothing to compare, they, d- they can't compare what's wrong with what's right because they don't know what's right. Because they don't know the Bible.
0: I actually went to a mainline Protestant denomination to speak on a Sunday night and I asked people to open their Bibles. There was not one person there with a Bible. I asked them to get the pew Bibles. They didn't have any. I asked them to go through the church and get the Bibles out of the educational section. And I led three songs. They came back and said, we can't find any Bibles in this church. Not it, even it, the lost and found? No, not even, <laughs> not even the lost and found. Well, let me ask well, you this. Um, I, can, I can go one better than that. Okay, I go went on.
2: to a seminary once. Not one that we'll name or speak of, but, and I said, open your Bibles. They didn't. The students did not have Bibles. This was at a seminary. At a seminary.
0: Well, it's a sad state of affairs, and you know, I would dare say that many seminaries today, if not more than fifty percent of them in America, would teach that this book, the Bible, is man's search for God, and therefore full of myth, legend, and superstition, instead of it being God's revelation to man. What would you say in response to that?
2: Well if it's man's search for God, then uh, uh, why is it uh, better than some other book you might use to search for God? Unless it is uh, of divine origin, you might as well search for God in Plato or Socrates right. or uh, some of the modern authors who write. Uh, and and going back to relevance, I think it's very important to remember that that we're not supposed to uh, make the Bible relevant to us. We're supposed to make, supposed to make ourselves relevant to it. Good because point. Because that's truth. That's the standard. And uh, God in all the scriptures is trying to help man, not so, vice versa.
0: You know, I, I spent 20 years in higher education before I went into the ministry, and I was a professor. I know the, all the academic games. And it seems to me that so often today, that in seminaries that do not believe this is really the Word of God, their approach to this is like their approach to Shakespeare. The, the approach is, let's take it, let's, uh, let's uh, pull it apart, let's, let's tear it apart, let's analyze it, dissect it, instead of the approach of this is God's Word, let's read and obey it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's no a a whole, about an that. In, in, entirely academic approach. Yeah, Yeah. Uh,
2: there is no interpersonal reaction and action and uh, you're right, it's, it's very academic. And then the Bible ends up being nothing but myths yes. and stories, not historical, not factual.
0: Well, if you were talking to a person who did not believe this was the Word of God, what, what would you point to to try to convince them it really is God's Word that came from God?
2: Well, you will appreciate this because of the emphasis of your ministry. <laughs> I would point them to fulfilled prophecy. Wow. And I would compare it. To the possibility of fulfilled prophecy being fulfilled by chance. Yes. And uh, I'm no expert in probability, but uh, I did major in mathematics in, in college. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. Strangely enough, and uh, I've done some of that uh, comparison. How could uh, ten prophecies be fulfilled by chance? Yes. Then, if you talk about fifty prophecies, of course, the chance gets much less. Yes. If you talk about just, uh, let's say, a hundred prophecies about the first coming of Christ, right. the probability of that happening by chance is always one out of something. <laughs> probability is expressed in a fraction. Yes. But the one out of something is so minor, so minute, so little, that the mathematician would say it's zero. Right. Now, the person who wants to grab on the one as a possibility... Uh, for it happening by chance, we'll say the one out of whatever it right. is, a billion, two three billion, is the one I'm holding to. Well, good luck. <laughs> That's all I can say. Good luck, right. because these prophecies could not be fulfilled by
0: chance. And furthermore, you don't find any fulfilled prophecies in books like the Hindu Vedras, or no. in uh, the Book of Mormon, no. or even in the Quran. No, no. fulfilled prophecies, no. and yet here they are, one after another yeah. after another.
2: And you can test them.
0: Yes. It's amazing. Well, let me ask you something else. Now, this gets kind of controversial with some people. I mean, they get really, really emotional about it. Uh, you are a person who has dealt with biblical manuscripts for years and years and, uh, uh, you know, have produced your own study Bible, and so I think you would uh, be one that uh, people would like to hear respond to this question, and that is there are some good folks out there, I mean really good Christian folks, who take the position that if you use anything other than the King James Version, you're going straight to hell. I get letters from them all the time. Now, what is your attitude about the King James only folk, who are really sincere, but what, what, do, you, what do you think about that?
2: Well, that's too restrictive, <laughs> and the language is too uh, 17th century, and uh, you need to, uh, even for your own sake, you need to update some of the language in the King well, James. Well, they have.
0: They've revised it many, many times, haven't they? Yes. Yes.
2: And the last, the last major revision of the King James was in 1769. <laughs> that sort of startles them, if they want to have the original King James, just like it Came from the translation in 1611. There have been four major revisions, the last one being in 1769.
0: So you're basically saying that there are some modern translations that are are good for use? Of course. Like the New American Standard or something of that nature? They're
2: better for use because they're, they're more accurate. Okay. And the New American is one of them, certainly. We well,
0: you know when I was growing up in the church back in the '40s, about the only translation we had was the King James, and and I really didn't enjoy reading the Bible because to me it was like reading um, Shakespeare. I had great difficulty with it. And then when I was a freshman in college, my mother and dad sent me one year for Christmas a copy of the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of the mm-hmm. New Testament. Mm-hmm. Doctor Ryrie I picked that up and started reading it, and it was like something exploded inside of me. I read all day, I read all night, I read all the next day. I couldn't put it down, and suddenly I. Became interested in, in studying yeah. the Bible like I never had yeah. before. And yet I find quite often people just thoroughly condemn paraphrases and say there's no use to them whatsoever.
2: Well I think paraphrases have a use yes. especially with young people mm-hmm. or young Christians. It helps them to see what the Bible's saying and gets them interested just like they did in your case. But if you stay only with a paraphrase then you're missing out
0: something. <laughs> yes you're in trouble. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well you've got to, to grow and grow toward a more accurate, uh, literal, plain, um, reliable uh, translation.
0: Especially for a very serious study. Yes.
2: yes. You you don't teach Sunday school. You don't prepare for (laughs) Sunday school class and paraphrase. (laughs) You might use it, but let's hope your paraphrase, your preparation will be something else as well.
0: Well, I I agree. Well, I I appreciate you uh, mentioning that to us. You know, um, Dr. Uh, Ryrie, in 1909, the very first Study Bible was produced. And uh, as I understand it, that's the very first one in history, one where they had notes at the bottom of the page. And that was by a Dallas uh, pastor, yes. C.I. Schofield. Right. I was going to ask you if you knew him, but then I did some research on his background and yours. And I think he, uh, you were about one or two years old when he died, right? Dave,
2: <laughs> I wasn't born when
0: he Died. Okay, well, I thought, I thought you were about two years old when he died. I don't <laughs> okay. think so. Okay. So you didn't know Abraham. <laughs> okay.
2: No, okay. I, and I wasn't in the flood, I wasn't on okay. the ark. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I've always been intrigued by the fact that that was the very first one produced by a pastor right here in Dallas, Texas. Yes. And uh, published about all things uh, by the oxford university press i don 't know how he arranged that do you do you know uh, but, i really don 't know that but no. Uh, no. he was severely criticized by no. many Christian leaders because they said that a study Bible is adding to yes. the Word of God and therefore was a sinful thing to do. Yep. And he got a lot of condemnation. Today we just accept study Bibles as a useful biblical study tool. Well, what I want to do is in a few minutes I want to discuss that change of attitude and and yep. the attitude of adding to the Bible with you. But first, let, we let need...
2: mean oh, Let me, let me okay. interject something here. Yeah. When people say, Notes at the bottom of the page are in addition to the inerrant text as if they are inerrant without error. That's just nonsense. You can't buy a Bible today that doesn't have some man-made note on it. Yes. Because chapter titles are (laughs) man-made and verse divisions are man-made.
0: And those chapter titles can be very misleading in the Old Testament when it says this chapter is about the church when the whole chapter is about Israel.
2: Those headings are are often very wrong.
0: Right, right. Okay, I appreciate you making that point. Folks, we'll be back with Dr. Ryrie in just a moment. But first, uh, we want to tell you about a wonderful book by Tim LaHaye that will help you to better understand uh, the whole Bible, including Bible prophecy.
1: Does your understanding of Bible prophecy depend solely on the study of others? Would you like to understand Bible prophecy for yourself? Would you like to understand the principles of interpretation well enough to do your own study? Master teacher Tim LaHaye has written this book for just that purpose. He demonstrates that the Bible, including Revelation, is a book that can be understood. While Bible school and academic pursuits are always desirable, just learning the principles of sound biblical interpretation can benefit anyone at any stage of life. In Understanding Bible Prophecy for Yourself, you'll find exercises that will help you get a precise understanding of key Bible prophecies. See step-by-step examples of how to interpret Bible passages. Have a comprehensive overview of God's plan for the future. Find charts that present a clear outline of the future. And get solid guidelines for accurate interpretation. To receive your very own copy, call 1-800-225-7977 and ask for the book, Understanding Bible Prophecy for Yourself by Tim LaHaye. It's yours for a gift of $15 or more.
0: Well, welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. My special guest is Dr. Charles Ryrie, author of the very popular Ryrie Study Bible. It is available in the King James Version the New American Standard Version, and the New International Version. It's also available in several languages. How many languages so far has it been published in?
2: It's been published in Spanish and Portuguese, and there are a couple in process.
0: Well, what are those?
2: Uh, Albanian. Can you believe that? (laughs) Albanian. I understand that's at the printer. Well, is that something? And And what else? You know, relatively small language group. And it's in process in
0: Chinese. Chinese. Well, that's... I guess, spoken by more people than anybody else. Absolutely. I'm just. Isn't that wonderful? It's almost unbelievable that somebody would. Well, I understand you just got back from Brazil for the introduction of your Portuguese Portuguese, version. That's correct. That's great. So I guess you'll be going to China for that one. I may be too old for that kind of trip, to tell the truth. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's a long, hard yeah. trip. <laughs> but
2: the, the prospects are his schedule is to have it out by the end of the year.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Praise God. We'll yes. put that on a prayer list. Yes. Amen. I, I had the opportunity to go to China uh, not long ago and teach at a seminary there. And those people, are just, they're just so hungry for the Word. It's just unbelievable. Now, I've got a surprise for you. And that is that uh, my wife recently wore out her Bible. I mean, she just wore it out. And she came to me and she said, Dave, I, I need a new Bible. Would you go get me one? I said, yeah, what kind you want? She looked at me like I was nuts. And she said, well, the only kind I'll, I'll use, that's the Ryrie Study Bible. You and have here,
2: the most wonderful wife in
0: the world. <laughs> here, this is her Ryrie Study Bible. No, I mean, no, it, is, it is worn To a frazzle. I love to see that kind
2: of. So what I
0: did is I went out and I bought her a brand new one. Look there, Ryrie Study Bible. That's great. And uh, it is in the uh, excuse me the New American Standard Version. And I would just appreciate it so much if you would inscribe this to her because I tell you what. It would thrill her to death, and it would get me a whole lot of brownie points, okay? <laughs> and I need them. Her name is Ann, A-N-N. A-N-N. And if yes, A-N-N, just to Ann. And I'll tell you, that would be a real great blessing. And while you're doing that, let me say that I wore out my copy of your study Bible a long time ago. But you know what I replaced it with? I replaced it with the electronic version. And so, uh, I, I'm not sure that all of our viewers are aware of the fact that just about any Uh, electronic Bible study uh, software that you can get will have as an add-on your notes for an additional price. I think that would be true of just about any of them. And so I use it that way all the time when I'm doing serious Bible study. I've just got the text on one side and I've got your study notes on the other. And also, you told me something about this new study Bible that really astounded me. Because when my wife looked in it, she said, hey, here's a map, here's a chart, here's a di- I've never seen that before. Are you sure you got me a Ryrie study Bible? Yeah. Didn't you tell me you've added 2,000 notes yeah. from the original edition? Yeah, in
2: 93 and four I expanded it. And there are more notes and the more in-text helps like maps and charts. Uh, so it's. I understand it's about twenty percent more material.
0: Well, I highly recommend it. Uh, both now, on.
2: I wrote a little bit. That's what took me oh, so okay.
0: long. So. I will, I that wanna, will thrill her today. I want to give you a bonus. <laughs> okay, that's great. Now to get back to the, the Schofield Study Bible, one thing that uh, uh, sort of intrigued me about that, uh, Doctor Ryrie, is that the Schofield Study Bible is still in print. Uh, in fact, I think it has a revision committee that exactly. revises it ever so often, and it is written from what is called a dispensational viewpoint. Uh, You also have a dispensational viewpoint. So why was it that you felt led to uh, uh, put out another study Bible when that one was already there?
2: Well, actually a publisher approached me. Okay. Not the present publisher, but somebody else. Yes. And asked if I had a a project uh, to suggest to them. I said, well, uh, evangelicals have not had a new from the ground up study Mm -hmm. Bible. Uh, the Schofield was being revised when we began to talk about mine, right? And uh, I thought uh, maybe we needed a new one. And and my approach is uh, different from the Schofield—not my theology, but my approach. Because the Schofield is more, uh, the notes are more synthesis, putting yes. things together, and my my notes are more explanatory, interpretive, some historical. They're they're shorter uh, throughout the whole Bible. So, I don't think uh, while our theology is the same, our approach is different, and hopefully that justifies another one. Nowadays, there are study Bibles for anybody that, that wants to put one out.
0: <laughs> How long did it take you from the time you started on that project to the time it was published?
2: The original took my part about seven years. Seven years, wow. But I was uh, teaching some too. Yes. And the actual production took about ten uh, yes. because they had to put things together. now. I think that can be that time can be reduced because of computers and so on. You know when I, I asked, I did it on a typewriter.
0: Oh, on a typewriter? Yeah. Wow. I did it. I did it in BC before computers. <laughs> before computers. Well, you know, uh, the uh, when I asked you that question, how long did it take you? It reminded me of one time when I bought a beautiful painting, a southwestern uh, painting, and then I had the opportunity to meet the artist. And I asked the artist, I said, How long did it take you to do this painting? And he looked at it and he said, Sixty five years. And that's really it. I mean, it, it, yeah. you could talk about a seven year period of time, but it's really a, it's a, a product of a lifetime yeah. of study.
2: Lifetime of teaching and study, yeah, that's yeah. true. Amen. I almost said it that way.
0: but Now, for those people out there right now who are kind of scratching their head over a word I mentioned, I want you to explain that word. I, I mentioned that Schofield wrote his study Bible from a dispensational viewpoint, and you did the same thing. What in the wor- world is a dispensational viewpoint? What does that mean?
2: It just recognizes a very simple truth, and that is God has dispensed, dispensational, dispensed the way, the rules he, by which he's governed the world differently at different times. Okay. Just like when our kids are growing up, we dispense the rule about bedtime at different times right. as they grow Throughout there. And you don't childhood. have the same
0: rules for a two year old that you do for a 17 year old.
2: No, you don't tell a two year old they can stay up to midnight. Some of them <laughs> do, but. And you don't tell a 17 year old that they have to go to bed at 9 o'clock. That's, that's what dispensationalism is all about. Just God has, has dispensed the way, the package of guidelines and rules uh, that He wants to run the world at different times. So give
0: us an example. Of two different dispensations. I
2: think the the clearest example is is the set of rules that we call the law, the Mosaic Mm -hmm. law. There are six hundred and thirteen commandments. They govern almost every area of a Jewish person's life, Uh, not only how he worshipped, but the things he gave, what he ate, uh, just just everything was governed that way. Uh, For example, uh, you and I are probably violating the Mosaic law. I'm not sure about you, but I know about me, because I'm wearing a shirt of mixed material. Oh yes, and that was a violation. You didn't do that.
0: Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm.
2: had to wear a shirt that, or clothing all that was wool, not, all wool, cotton, yeah, whatever. not mixed at all. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what you had for breakfast, but uh, if you had bacon, you are double sinner. <laughs>
0: reminds me of the prayer of uh, <laughs> Moody Lord if you can bless what you have cursed bless it <laughs>
2: yeah, what you, if you can bless what you cursed under the law then bless it okay, those,
0: so those, you,
2: those are requirements All right, and they were for a purpose I'm not sure I understand all the purpose but God gave them that way now today uh, God has given us all meats to enjoy with Thanksgiving that's a wonderful verse because yes. I happen to like bacon <laughs> <laughs> and I can eat it <laughs> and feel that I'm not disobeying God. Yes, that's a
0: different. So we're in a dis- different uh, dispensation. We're,
2: he, he's dispensing food r- laws in different way at different times.
0: Actually, uh, to some degree, uh, I guess all Christians are dispensationalists in the sense that they would at least rec- recognize two dispensations: the old and the new. Absolutely. Uh, dispensationalists tend to uh, recognize uh, some seven uh, different dispensations. Correct.
2: That's the usual, but I think you, if you recognize now, today, the new church, yes. grace, and the one previous yes. to that, Moses' yes. law. And if you, as we are uh, pre then mm-hmm. you recognize a future one, the mm-hmm. millennium. So you've got three going backwards, the millennium, and today, and the previous yes. law. And the law began At a certain point in time, so there's a has to be one before that. Yes, so you got four four without trouble.
0: Uh, You don't have to. Well, it seems to me that another distinguishing characteristic of dispensationalism is that dispensationalists uh, uh, are the only ones I know of who clearly differentiate between the church and Israel. Absolutely. Explain that.
2: Not only clearly,
0: but consistently.
2: Yes. Some people might clearly discern the difference between Israel and the church, but they wouldn't be consistent Mm -hmm. about it. They would they would say Israel and the church are different uh, uh, let's say in the millennium but not today or not in days past okay uh, the church in the Old Testament was Israel and in the New Testament uh, the church is the new Israel uh, they're they're not differentiating consistently but if they're premillennialists, they probably dis- differentiate the church in Israel in the millennium.
0: Well, uh, what do you say to those who, who argue that the church has replaced Israel and therefore Israel has no future left uh, with God?
2: Well, I say uh, be consistent. If you're going to have a replacement, you've got to have the whole package. Okay. You can't just say the church is going to have Israel's blessings, good things, and not, <laughs> and not take the curses. The
0: yeah, we don't want the curses. No, we don't want the
2: curses. <laughs> not at all.
0: Well, it, it, it certain seems to me like this is one of the greatest errors that is made in the interpretation of the Bible today is the idea that uh, uh, Israel has, uh, the Church has replaced Israel. And you go, you, as I mentioned earlier you go to some versions of the Bible and you find that here is a whole chapter in the Old Testament about Israel and they say, no it is a chapter about the yeah, Church. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, they argue that God washed His hands of the Jewish people in the first century, has no purpose left for them whatsoever. And I wonder what they do with Romans 9-11. through
2: well, there are, a lot, there are other passages that distinguish Israel and the church since the day of Pentecost, mm-hmm. at, at which time the church was supposed to have begun to replace Israel. The first mention of church in the book of Acts is in chapter 5. That's right. And also in chapter, chapter 5, Gamaliel said, you men of Israel, same right. chapter. Yeah. And, of course, that's in the 30s. You get to the 50s, and uh, Paul wrote... Uh, Uh, give no offense either to the the Jews or Gentiles or the Church of God. There's Jews distinguished from the Church. Do
0: you know of any place in the Bible where Israel is used to refer to the Church?
2: No, there's one passage that people use, but that's only an optional interpretation of the passage.
0: Well, Dr. Irie, ever since I uh, let the word out that I was going to be interviewing you on this television program, I have been deluged with questions about (laughs) one thing in particular, Bible prophecy. So if you'll agree to be back with us next week, we're going to focus on questions concerning Bible prophecy.
2: I would be delighted and honored. And thank you for having me this week.
0: Well, great. Well, folks, I want to invite you to tune in again next week when I will be asking Dr. Ryrie questions specifically related to Bible prophecy. Until then, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Laman Line Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near.
1: We want you to become more familiar with us, so we've prepared an introductory packet for anyone who requests it. This packet is free, and you can receive one of your own by calling the number on your screen or writing to us at lamblion Your packet will contain the latest issue of our bi-monthly magazine, The Lamplighter, a catalog listing all of our resources, our most popular publication entitled, What Happens When You Die?, and an audio message entitled, Jesus is Coming Soon. When you request your introductory packet, you'll also begin receiving every other month our magazine, The Lamplighter. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy,
0: a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.